25 years. 25 years. As we've been saying for the last few weeks, the undeniable, irrefutable message of 25 years is God is good. Period. Hard stop. Now, the most profound example of the goodness of God is, of course, Jesus. The perfect, never-changing, ever-dynamic, atoning sacrifice that facilitates the forgiveness of our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the greatest example of God's goodness that there ever was or ever will be. And it also struck me that many times, I would say even most of the time, that God manifests his goodness in people through the people that he brings into our lives as an expression of his goodness. This weekend, we will celebrate 25 years. Some of us are celebrating right now. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, kid, if, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're under the age of 18, let me say that, would you do me a favor and help your parents put their noisemaker little horn tutor thing up just for the next few minutes. We're only going to be here for about another hour and a half in this service, but <laughs> the people is what I see and think about the most when I celebrate 25 years. I think about Julie's mom and dad who are here this weekend. They'll be in the next service, but they were actually here at our first service on September the 7th, 1997. And they, they actually provided the flowers that we put on the welcoming table outside the cafetorium at Forest Trail that day. And when I think back to that first service, I can't help but think, man, we were, to say we were rough around the edges is an expression of God's grace. We were rough around the edges. I, I think Julie's mom and dad, when they loaded up to drive back to Mississippi, honestly should have taken Julie and the kids with them, but I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> I think about my mom who was there 25 years ago that day. My mom was there 55 years ago, but my mom who raised three boys by herself and taught us to love God, to love his ways, who taught us unconditional love, who taught us a work ethic that just won't quit. She'll be here in the next service as well. Um, I think about Lake Hills Church, the people. You have no idea how grateful Julie and I are for you. And of all of the things that you have done for us over the years, nothing is greater than the environment and the home that you provided for our kids. For our kids to now be adults who still love the church, that's a reflection on you. You created an environment where they could grow up and be somewhat normal, that they didn't you know, become a PK, pastor's kid cliche, but they love God, and they, they love his house. They love his people. They, they are still committed to it. And so we owe you a massive, massive thanks for that. If, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have our two bonus girls, Allie and Sylvia. And now Allie's husband, Will. I mean, our, our, our nest keeps getting repopulated. It's, it's amazing. But 
just over and over and over the goodness of God. Um, and above and beyond all is Julie. What you have shouldered and worked and prayed and sweated and endured and put up with just in me deserves a horn toot of its own. I love you with everything I have. <clears throat> Julie says frequently that stubborn gets a bad rap. She lives that out in so many ways. But she is stubborn in all of the best and most beautiful ways. She is relentless in her pursuit of Christ, relentless in her pursuit of me, holding my feet to the fire. She is the original fearless mom of our kids and Lake Hills Church. We would not be here without Julie Richard. So God's good. God is good. I remember when Emily was in high school, I want to say a junior. I'm not real sure about the date. When Emily was in high school, Julie and I were watching TV in our room one night, and Emily came bounding into our room. That's where most of our great conversations happened with Emily, usually late at night. We, we had a, an old style sleigh bed that didn't have a footboard. When we bought a bed that has a footboard on it, Emily said this foot, because she would sit on the end of our bed and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> and when we bought a bed that had a footboard on the end of it, she said, this is like barbed wire to my soul. <laughs> but I remember one night in particular, Julie and I were watching TV and Emily came bounding into our room and she said, oh, by the way, 96 on my Algebra 2 test. What now? <laughs> I remember thinking, I really did think this in the moment. I thought, she is so much like her mother. <laughs> but I mean, just that unbridled joy, that unbridled excitement of a job well done, that, that statement, what now? It kind of became a, a battle cry for our family. And even around the offices of Lake Hills Church for a while, we were, instead of saying, what's up or how you doing, what's going on, we would all kind of go, what now? Usually with the finger snap. And I think as this message series comes to a crescendo, as 25 years comes to a crescendo, it's actually the perfect question slash statement to say, what now? And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and with passion and the finger snap, go down and then up, say, what now? It's fun to say, isn't it? I promise you, you will say that again today before you put your head on the pillow. But what now? God, 25 years. But what now? What where do we go from here? And to answer that question, I want us to go to the book of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter, today's message has just two things to remember, two points. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. The Bible says this, 
like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So when you think what now as a part of the Lake Hills Church family, as, as a product and a participant in 25 years, if today is your first day, you're part of the first 25 years, I want you to think, what now? And the first clue is right here in the very beginning of this passage I just read. Number one, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Turn to your neighbor and with a smile and grace in your heart, tell your neighbor, grow up. I can only imagine how desperately Julie wishes I was sitting beside her right now. <laughs> but it says to crave spiritual milk like a baby. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be a baby. But like a child craves a mother's milk, craves nourishment, cries without it, that's to be our attitude. That's to be our heart for spiritual milk. We are to hunger and to thirst after righteousness, after right connectedness with God and right living out into the world, we're to crave that and to grow up. You're not here to be a spiritual infant your whole life. If you're going to heaven, if you have committed your life to Christ, that's great. But man, don't just stop there. Grow up. Mature in that faith. This is where we begin to ingest Scripture. We're, we're not just memorizing stuff to memorize it or be able to dazzle our friends in Bible study, but we're, we're actually taking in the Word of God and making it a part of our spiritual DNA. We ingest it. We, we spiritually and emotionally and relationally and psychologically metabolize the Word of God. It, it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes the energy and the fuel for our living and we, we use Scripture as our guide for right living. It's, it's where prayer becomes just a part of who we are. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean that we walk around with our eyes closed holding a pulpit Bible. Father, right now I just look. Please don't. But it does mean that we are in constant communication with the King of kings and the Lord of lords that at the drop of a hat, because we have spent time with him privately and quietly, we're no longer strangers with him when we need him immediately and desperately. And so we, we come back to that. It's, it means that we've got friends, maybe one or two close, close friends that 
we rely on, we go to for godly counsel. We, we say, this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is, this is what I'm struggling with. I need you to pray with me, and I need you to hold me accountable. That's, that's growing up. It, it's where we begin to say more often than not, God, not my will, but your will be done, because I know your will is better than mine. That's, that's, that's a tough one, because I, I, I still... I've been walking with Christ for a long time. I still like things my way. Anybody else like things your way? Can I just see a show of hands? But to say, God, not my will, but your will. Romans 12, 2, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so we, we grow up. We grow up. But then it, it says not only are we growing up, personally, it says you like, it says Jesus is the, the perfect cornerstone, and everyone who follows Jesus is like a living stone. Isn't that a fascinating concept? Oh, a living stone. You're like a living stone. I'm like a living stone, and together we're being built up into this holy dwelling place, the, the temple of God. You, you may be a corner piece, you may be, you may be a piece of trim, you, you may be the gold on the altar, I, I don't know, but you, we're living stones, so we, we grow up personally, but then collectively and corporately, we build up, we, we build up the body of Christ for 25 years, Lake Hills Church. If you know it, please say it along with me. Our purpose, the reason we exist, you've probably heard this before, is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. Now you've all heard it. Let's say it again together like we mean it. To grow the community of Christ one life at a time. One living stone at a time. We build up the body of Christ we, we lift him up. We build up his body. That, that's why it's so important that we, we check our tones. Man, especially if you're on social media, that, that's fine. That's, I mean, but make sure that you're building people up. You're not tearing people down. You're not, you know, participating as the world participates in that nonsense. We're, we're building each other up. I want to inspire you. I want to challenge you. You know, a lot of times people will say things like, I am just being a truth teller. I'm just telling you like it is because I love you. And sometimes that's true. But it's also true that sometimes you're just being a jerk. And I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> I've shared with y'all some teaching from John Stott along the way. John Stott said that love without truth is too soft, but truth without love is too hard. I want you to think about that. Love without, if you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Listen, for 31 years, Julie has loved the dog out of me. She will tell me the truth. Yeah, you, no, you should not wear that. Or, yeah, you should not have said that. 
It's funny, we, we do a debrief between services every Sunday morning. We go over the service and, you know, to kind of make tweaks if something worked or didn't work. And the first thing I ask, the first part of the message, first part of that meeting is always anything in the message I need to say or do differently in the second one. If Julie is in that meeting, that section of the meeting goes longer. <laughs> it's really, really odd. But I listen to her because I trust her. I listen to her because she's smarter than I am. I listen to her because I know she loves Christ more than she loves me. I know she wants what's best in God's economy for me and for you. So if I need to do something different, she's going to tell me the truth. But she has spent 31 years loving me. There have been some times where I wanted her to love me a little less. So love without truth is, is too soft, but truth without love is too hard. We, we have to be willing to build up. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to conclude his earthly ministry. And he says these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. You will be his witness. You have the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ follower, and you will be his witness you will invite people to church, to just to come alongside. Go, hey, we want you to taste and see that he is good. I, I want to share with you what God's given to me. You don't have to be super religious about it. As a matter of fact, don't be super religious about it. Just be sincere. Build up the church one life at a time. Grow up. If you're not a part of a systematic, intentional Bible study with other followers of Christ, you're not growing up like you could. I love it when people say, especially men, about this time of year, we're heading into fall, temperatures plunge down into the upper 90s, <laughs> and men will say, you know, Church for me is in a deer blind. That, that's, that's church for me. And I, listen, I have encountered God in a deer blind in some profound ways. It ain't church. Church is people. Church is communing with God and his people. That, that's, that's church. Now, you can have a profound experience with God on your own. You should. But that profound experience is never designed to exist or grow in a vacuum. It always grows in community. That's, that's where we grow. That's where we get better. Iron sharpens iron. So, man, we, we grow up. But then we, we grow up not just so we look at all the things I know. I'm about to dazzle you with my Greek and Hebrew lexicon off the top of my head. That's fine if you know Greek and Hebrew if you're using it to build up the body of Christ. 
What did God say through the Apostle Peter? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. We read it a minute ago. See, I lay a stone in Zion. That's Jesus. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You know, I, I told you at the very beginning, I, I wish I could do what Corey does. I, it's, it's just so much fun to me. And, and other than not being able to sing or play guitar that well, I, I would be right there with him. <laughs> but if I came out here on this stage and tried to do what he did, I would be put to shame. I would be, you'd be like, oh, oh, Mac, we invited friends today. No, no. But the one who trusts in Christ will never be put to shame. That means he will never leave you nor forsake you. That means he is always good. And if you've never tasted that goodness, if you've never experienced it, you might be asking, well, how do you know? Well, I could point you to some evidence, and I'd be happy to, but understand that ultimately, it's a relationship. And like any relationship, it takes trust. There will be some unknown. If you waited until you knew everything about anybody you were in a relationship with, you would be very lonely. But you, you choose to trust based on track record. And Jesus' track record begins with the empty tomb. With the fact that he died on a cross for you. Like he died on a cross for me. Becoming our sin. And taking on himself the payment and the penalty of that sin, which is death, so that you don't have to. Well, how, how do you know that? Well, a great theologian was asked one time, what's the most profound truth that you have ever studied in all of your years of scholarship? And the theologian thought for a second and he said, the most profound truth I know is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. I am weak, but he is strong. You can know as much as you can know anything else that he is good and that he loves you because the tomb is empty. He got up from the dead with the promise of a new life for anyone who would follow him. If there is one message out of the life of Lake Hills Church, it is that. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you if you will bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today, maybe you came to see Corey Morrow. Maybe, maybe you came because you saw a Ferris wheel in the parking lot. Whatever your reason for walking in the door is, if you are here and you've never stepped into a relationship with God, you've never 
tasted to see that he is good. We want to give you the opportunity to do that just right now. To pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. To walk into that relationship with him. Just pray right where you're sitting. Something like this. Just silently from your heart to God, say this. Just, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I confess my sin holding nothing back in order to receive your forgiveness, your grace. And in this moment, I commit my life to you. Jesus, this is my what now moment with you. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. If that's your prayer, our privilege as a church is to tell you that this is the biggest moment of your life. And we want to we want to celebrate that with you, but we want to just help with the moments that follow as you begin to, to grow up in this new faith. So if that was your prayer, just before we do anything else, would you just quietly raise your hand? As our heads are bowed, just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made to Christ. And know that as a church family, we celebrate that moment with you. And our family tradition around here is, as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.